You're listening to Business Extra, coming from the Nationals Newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Kelsey Warner. I'm joined today by Haider Pasha, Chief Security Officer for EMEA and LATAM at Palo Alto Networks. Haider, nice to see you. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. So you're at Middle East Africa and LATAM. It's a broad territory and Palo Alto Networks works in cybersecurity. So today we're talking, how prepared are you for cybersecurity risks? And I want to take a step back and just introduce us to the work of a cybersecurity firm in 2023 and what what you all do. Sure. Yeah. So firstly, again, thank you for for having me. Um, So as you said, Palo Alto Networks is a world-leading cybersecurity organization. Um, Cybersecurity is all we do. Uh, You know, we were founded more than 15 years ago, uh, focused on really solving one major issue at the time, which was sort of changing the way the traditional security elements were working back then, specifically in the realm of network security. Um, since then, of course, we've grown quite quite rapidly. Uh, you know, we're obviously a global organization. We, we were founded in the Silicon Valley Bay area. Um, and uh, today our focus is primarily across three key areas. Um, it's securing the network as, we, as we've traditionally been doing, uh, but really using the, the technology of our platform, which is a next-gen firewall platform, and helping uh, organizations consolidate different tools within the network itself. The second key area is the cloud. And as organizations traverse through the cloud and to the cloud, um, you know, our focus is really help them give provide a single pane of glass when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, both from a visibility of threats perspective, as well as, of course, a protection perspective. And then the third area is really in the realm of, you could say almost AI and machine learning, but more specifically focused towards what we call the Security Operations Center, or SOC for short. And here, this is a really an ability for us to help our uh, our clients really prepare and detect and and really become as quick as possible when it comes to thwarting, you know, the sophisticated cyber attacks that that are constantly existing. Um, So, you know, as I said earlier, we're we're the the world's leading cybersecurity company in that respect, both in terms of revenue, in terms of obviously the platforms that we offer. Um, And within this region, which is EMEA and LATAM, which is primarily the region that I'm covering, my role as a CISO is that of an external facing uh, CISO. So what that means is as a chief security officer, a lot of my, uh, a lot of our clients have chief information security officers themselves. So my job is really partner with them and help them understand not just where Palo Alto is coming from, but really what's kind of in, uh, happening in, in the industry, what are the things for them to look out for, helping them build a long-term strategic roadmap for cybersecurity in general, not just Palo Alto, but overall for cyber. Um, and really just kind of being there, you know, as a, as a source uh, of truth when it comes to cybersecurity. So uh, a lot in there as an intro, but hopefully that should be uh, sufficient for... That's a useful use. framing. Yeah. And you work with Fortune 500 government entities. Correct. SMEs. Pretty much everyone, yeah. So it's, I mean, uh, it's it's pretty much everyone that focuses. Uh, I mean, it's all sorts of industries, all sorts of uh, different types of clients. Um, you know, we were primarily focused on very large organizations and governments, uh, but since the course of the last, I think maybe five or six years now, uh, you know, we've really opened it up to pretty much any any organization looking to secure their environment. So you recently surveyed 500 CEOs in the UAE about their cybersecurity awareness. And 86% claimed a good understanding of cybersecurity, which that is a very high figure. I was skeptical of that because cybersecurity to me is a kind of an also-ran. Everyone's afraid of it. Everyone knows they need it. Uh, 
but it's technical, it's complicated, it's tough to understand. So 86% of CEOs in the UAE claim an understanding. Do you do you buy that? What how literate are we in this region on this issue? So what I buy is that 86% of CEOs think that they have a good understanding of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I would, like yourself, obviously, when I saw that number, I challenged it a little bit myself. Um, and so uh, I, I think, look, when it comes to cyber, you know, it's such an evolving landscape. Um, you know, and, and many of the CEOs that we interviewed, of course, have been in the industry 20, 30 years, right? So what they think they know about cybersecurity perhaps 5, 10, 15 years ago is probably what they thinking they're comfortable with today, but what they may not understand is how it's evolved over the course of, I'd say, even the last four or five years, as an example. In the last four or five months, it's changed. (laughs) Or even even the last four or five months, absolutely, yeah. So uh, the other part of that statistic also said that um, 41% also within that number, 41% of those CEOs also said that they have not done a full cybersecurity assessment. Uh, as well. So on the one side, you're claiming to have a very good understanding of cybersecurity, but on the other side, you have not done the basics, which is, you know, an actual assessment of your cyber landscape, right? So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, as, as as we agreed, I think this is really just their understanding. And I think ultimately what CEOs always need to do, and everyone in general, but specifically the C-suite needs to do is constantly unteach and teach themselves when it comes to cyber um, and, and really challenge their you know, CISOs, their CIOs in the organization to really come to the table more often and really enable them uh, as well uh, on on their understanding of cybersecurity. I want to, okay, so we have you here as a guest. So as a public service to people who do not understand, this is an opportunity to educate. So I want to just do a quick kind of rapid round of defining some common terms and talk about how threatening these terms are. Things like phishing, malware, ransomware, zero day. And then I want you to tell me which ones I actually missed. So phishing, <laughs> just quickly define phishing. Um, phishing. So somebody uh, wants uh, to have you redirected to their page uh, that they have created, which is a malicious page that essentially uh, will uh, allow them to upload a certain piece of malicious software onto your device. Um, and that phishing could come in the form of an email. It could come in the form of you just browsing the web and, and you know, uh, uh, finding yourself on somebody's malicious page. But phishing essentially is that ability of somebody trying to upload that particular uh, content onto your uh, onto your you know, computer um, for malicious reasons. Malware. Malware is a piece of software that essentially will be uploaded to your machine if they are, if you have successfully essentially, uh, you know, gone onto that person's uh, machine itself uh, or gone to that person's website. So what malware essentially will do is, uh, you know, it could be used for different reasons, but traditionally malware is used to spy on the actual machine itself to look at the data and find out, you know, what exists on that particular user. And then ultimately for the attacker to then log in and, and, you know, steal the data as an example. Ransomware. Uh, Another form of malware, but more now specific to encrypting the device uh, and actually asking for, as the name suggests, ransom, right? So ultimately, if I've been successful in my phishing attack and you have come to my website and you've downloaded or I've uploaded that piece of software onto your your device, that software will ultimately encrypt your entire machine. And all you'll see is a page that I pop up in front of you that says, pay me one Bitcoin or you're never going to see your computer again or your information again. Zero day attack. 
uh, an attack that um, doesn't has not been seen before, right? So zero day meaning it's not, it's never existed out in the market um, uh, by any attacker uh, earlier. And so again, you know, ten years ago, a zero attack, zero day attack was considered, um, you know, a bit of a blue moon, right? We we wouldn't really see it that often, and when it would come out, then people would rush to apply signatures and best practice kind of you know methodologies to prevent that zero day attack. Um, today we see upwards of twenty to thirty thousand zero-day attacks on a daily basis. Um, so it's just, it's become a norm. So which ones did I miss? Did I miss any buzzwords in the cybersecurity space these days? Um, you know, I think there's a supply chain attack, I think is also quite, quite picked up quite a lot of steam. Uh, and what that essentially means is, um, again, when you look at your supply chain um, and you think about software, essentially as one example, um, software typically requires obviously code. And the, we, what we normally find is that 70% of code is available in the open source market. Meaning I can go to a website and I can download a piece of code that somebody's built in order to complete the code that I'm trying to build for my piece of software. So that open source can come with its own set of vulnerabilities. And so what the attackers are doing now is they're actually leveraging those vulnerabilities um, to attack you know, companies that have uh, or are using that third-party software. Um, so supply chain disruption generally is caused in one example, as I just said, in, in this form of uh, software uh, attacks. Within this range of attacks, within this range of risks, how can companies actually prepare? Is a good way of preparing to run scenarios? Is it what does this actually look like from a kind of tactical, concrete standpoint? So there's a lot of things you can do. I, I think the, the most important piece amongst any of it is uh, admit you have a problem. Right. Uh, and, and what that basically means is you, you have to you have to go back and you have to first and foremost identify what we call your digital crown jewels. Right, you have to identify what's critical to the business, uh, and that's a tough exercise because uh, you know I can come to you as an as you know a media broadcasting company. I can say, guys, what's critical to you, and you may could turn around and give me a list of four or five things. But when we really start inspecting those four or five pieces of data, like for example, you know the the number of channels you you are on, or your customer data, as an example, or people you've interviewed in the past. You know, that's just one source. But what who has access to that source and how does that source reside and, and what are the tools that are being used are all kind of a much broader surface that you would have to look at to identify what those crown jewels are. So that's the first step is to really identify the crown jewels and admit that you may not be secure everywhere. That's the first step. The second is try and simplify as much as possible uh, in terms of what you've got deployed, um, you know, where. Uh, you know, we live in this digital world, unfortunately, where we have too many tools and too many vendors and too many services that we're, we're relying on. Um, and that creates a, creates a bit of a, a, a cyber Frankenstein, as I like to call it, right? So moving away from that and simplifying perhaps on a couple of key strategic partners, I think is really important. Um, and the third, I'd say, is really start thinking about and really deploying automation in the form of artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, you know, look at the steps that you're taking on your team is taking today that's very manual and try and question whether you can automate as much of that as possible because the attackers have automated and we are still or by we I mean generally the populace is still very reactive and very manual in the approach that they take towards uh, responding. It's interesting you say okay the attackers have automated can we slow that down a little bit and talk more about what that actually means? 
Um, you know, when I talk about artificial intelligence, a lot of people think uh, chat GPT nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's it's an unfortunate thing, but AI has been around for more than 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we at Palo Alto Networks, we've been using AI in our detection response capabilities for more than a decade at this stage as well. Um, but it's those buzzwords like, or these, you know, buzz names like chat GPT, unfortunately, that are catching the, catching the, the majority of the, the news cycle. Um, what the attackers are doing today, Kelsey, is they're, they're taking an approach which has been around for many years, which is, you know, they have a script in terms of how they would generate the attack. So let's take phishing. I, I gave you the definition of phishing and ransomware, right? So if I'm an attacker, I need to gain access to your machine. I need to encrypt your machine. There's a step-by-step -step process that I would go about to do that. I would formulate an email. I would address it to you. I would, you know, put certain aspects in the email that, you know, you would find interesting, perhaps that you would want to click uh, on a certain link for. I would need to create that specialized link just for you so you could gain access into that website. All of those things are steps that I would need to take as an now imagine, and that would probably take me, let's say, five minutes to do. Um, but now imagine I have an automated script or an automated tool that allows me to do this, not just for you, but for maybe 500 people in less than a minute. Right? And I can create that and I can send it out at scale and I can send it out as a broadcast to essentially you know, 500 people within, within 60 seconds. Um, that level of automation, uh, and it, you know, it's easier to say when we're talking about consumers, but if, if I focus that level of automation on one particular organization, uh, imagine 500 employees in an organization receiving that kind of email that's just been customized for them. You know, that's, that's the kind of automation that attackers are using right now. And so our response traditionally in the, I talked about the security operations center of the SOC, our response in the SOC right now is very manual. You know, we'll, we'll look at each email, we'll say, okay, well, is this phishing? Do I need to access? And then they would try and click on the link in a secure manner. And it would take them in upwards of half an hour at least before they can investigate and come up with an answer. Well, by then it's already too late because potentially 500, you know, employees have already clicked on that link. In the case of ransomware attacks, a lot of times companies will just pay the ransom and kind of quietly shuffle off the issue and hope that nobody notices. Is that an issue? How, what is your impression of how companies tend to handle these things, which seems to be kind of behind closed doors and very quietly? Yeah, I mean, look, our um, our approach to paying off ransomware, I mean, this is a it's 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 an interesting question. I, I get this quite often, but uh, my my personal opinion is uh, you should never pay ransom, um, and you know you should never be at that. You, you should never let it get to the point where you are at the mercy of the attacker, right? You should always have backups. You should always have two-factor authentication enabled. You should always have kind of those basics that you know I talked about earlier that you know some organizations still aren't doing, unfortunately. So it should never get to that point. But if you are at that point, you really have to do a risk assessment at the end of the day, right? Um, and, and you have to ask yourselves, not just the fact of, you know, should we pay the ransom or not? You should really ask yourselves, how did we get here? Right? And what were the things we didn't listen to that allows us to get to the point that we are at? Um, so short answer is don't pay. Just so don't this pay. Is ultimately, yeah, just just don't pay because there's no guarantee that a they will give you the key and b that they're not going to go tell their buddies, uh, you know, across the border or perhaps you know in some chat group somewhere in, on the dark web that they've just successfully you know uh, hit this particular uh, organization and that you're not going to see something similar um, you know happen to you in, in the future. It's really hard not to pay though because the regulatory environment really doesn't protect companies in this case. They don't really have recourse. So. 
in a lot of ways, they're kind of backed into a corner to respond by just solving it themselves, right? Well, so I, I think when you think about, um, so if you, if you look at a slightly broader aspect of this, right, if you, if you consider this whole um, uh, notion of how the regula regulations have, have really evolved as well, regulations are really a guiding principle right now, right? So if, when I think about cybersecurity regulations, they're basically telling you to get the basics right, right? So um, if you just follow the guidelines, I don't think that should be your level set. I don't, I don't think, you know, CISOs or organizations should go in and say, yes, we are GDPR compliant, as an example. This is the general data protection regulation in, in Europe. So an, if an organization turns around and says, we are GDPR compliant, that doesn't really mean a lot from a cybersecurity perspective. That means you've done the basics. Mm -hmm. But when you think about all the other things you should do, I mean, there, there, there's obviously you need to challenge yourselves there. Um, within this region, I think the regulations have definitely uh, evolved and they're still evolving. Um, but, but there are, again, still guidelines. If you think about um, the cyber UAE Cybersecurity Council and the, the excellent work that the, the organizations there are doing in terms of guiding and ex explaining what are the, the best practices and the steps that you should be taking. Um, you know, it's just organizations need to be constantly aware and they need to constantly realize that Again, regulations will always be the, the basics, right? Uh, because it, they need to keep it as wide as possible for even a mom and pop shop down the road to apply you know, certain principles all the way up to a large organization. But if you're a lot, that large organization, you, know, you shouldn't stop at the regulations. You should actually challenge yourself to be secure in a lot of other factors as well. For my last kind of section of questions, I want to talk to you about just getting your reaction of some hyped technologies of the last few years and things that I think have probably been around for you for, for longer, but for listeners, things like blockchain, generative AI, cryptography, cryptocurrency, just what is their relevance in terms of making a, a more secure world for us and how hyped or overhyped have they been? So just first off, the blockchain and blockchain as a way of kind of securing validating, you know, authenticating assets. Is it living up to its potential? Does it have potential? Um, look, I, you know, I, um, I, and I can't take credit for what I'm about to tell you, but I, I've heard this somewhere and I absolutely agree with the sentiment on blockchain, um, and, and which is the fact that I don't think blockchain has had its uh, internet or web 1.0 moment yet, right? I, th I think blockchain it has lots of use cases and, and blockchain has um, some great potentials. But if you remember back in the late 2000s, uh, or sorry, in the early 2000s and late 90s, you know, when the internet was really kind of becoming the internet, we saw sort of this moment where people started to realize that, oh, you know, we can actually find use cases such as uh, e-commerce uh, and start, you know, creating websites and kind of really using the internet for, you know, business and, and commercial aspects. I think blockchain isn't there yet. It hasn't had that, you know, web 1.0 moment. And as you know, we're in web 3.0 right now with the metaverse and everything else. But um, that evolution hasn't started, in my opinion, right? So that's my, my view on blockchain. Um, whether or not it's secure and whether or not, um, you know, uh, what are the practical use cases, you know, the, it, it's a different way of, of, thinking because it talks about how 50% of the certain chain has to uh, fully uh, uh, agree before, you know, the overall chain changes. And, you know, they're, they're, I've read some some use cases where you could actually influence the blockchain uh, or a certain blockchain if it's small enough. Um, so the jury is still out on all of that. But for me, I think what's more important right now is I still haven't seen that 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 web 1.0 moment for blockchain that really will show me how it's going to be used in our daily lives um, right now. 
What about Web3 and decentralization? Yeah, Web3, I think, is definitely uh, has, has some massive use cases. Um, when you think about the metaverse, I know, again, people get fixated on sort of those big news items like Facebook and what Mark Zuckerberg wants to do with, with uh, you know, with, with Meta and everything else. Um, but again, I think it, it definitely has, coming out of COVID, uh, you know, the, the big change that I've seen and is the organizational mindset, or even the CEO's mindset towards technology. You know, pre, pre-COVID, I don't think technology was on the top of mind for CEOs. But today, and going back to that survey that we did, you know, it is unequivocally part of a CEO's mindset is technology. And for them to really think about how can we use technology as a way of, uh, you know, growing the business, you know, as a, as a foundational growth for the business. Um, and they're actually able to now quantify what I call the sort of the, the margins uh, of growth that they're going to see as a result of digitizing within their organization. So I think Meta or this kind of Web3.0 approach is definitely going to be one of them. Okay. So what about cryptocurrencies, non-fungible tokens, digital assets, that whole universe? <laughs> Uh, you know, again, it's uh, different use cases for different mediums. I think with cryptocurrency, again, um, you know, just we're, we're trying to see some use cases and Dubai or the UAE as always is usually ahead when it comes to using technology, uh, uh, you know, compared to many other organizations or uh, countries around the world. So, I, you know, I'm seeing, you know, real estate transactions taking place using cryptocurrency and people buying cars using crypto and all of that. Again, we're still still far out when it comes to you know proper use cases, in my opinion. Again, the the the, the practical use cases of blockchain and crypto is still uh, are are still a little bit far off, in my opinion. I'm afraid you're going to say the same thing about the next and last thing I'm going to ask you about, which is Chat GPT and generative AI. Where it does it sit in the security landscape? You know, I think ChatGPT, and actually, I'm not going to say the same thing because I think ChatGPT or generative AI, because again, we need to differentiate because now we're on version four of ChatGPT and it's soon we're going to see version five and so on. Um, I think this is an area that's going to uh, that's going to change our lives quite significantly over the course of the next 24 months. Um, because when you think about how fast it's evolving, I think this is a form of human augmentation that we're going to start to see in our daily lives a lot sooner than the other stuff that we just talked about. Right. So even if today, if you think about um, what the traditional or the initial chat GPT function did or generative AI did, um, it's leaps and bounds beyond what it was doing in those early stages back just in December versus where it is now with version four. And as you start to give it more and more good quality data, which is ultimately what what this whole generative AI is all about, is giving it really good solid data and expanding that scale, I think we're going to start to see a lot more uh, stronger use cases coming out of that in the next uh, in the next year or so. Do you think the coverage of what the implications are for it landing in the hands of bad actors. Do you think that's overblown or do you think there are real existential risks with its proliferation? You know, I'll tell you a funny story and, and this is public news and and, and they've fixed it since then. But I, back in, I think it was end of December when these, those initial kind of uh, stages of ChatGPT were created, I created a script uh, and requesting ChatGPT to generate a malicious, to basically create a malicious code that would essentially generate a malware um, that I could upload to a particular device, uh, and it did that. And for the most part, it, it worked. You know, for the I say most part because there were still some tweaks that I had to do in order to to, to get it to properly work on the system. They've since stopped that. So now, when you go into ChatGPT and try and ask for something similar, of course, it, it it comes back with an ethical response saying that this isn't allowed and so on and so forth. Um, but 
but uh, you know i can guarantee attackers are going to find whatever creative ways they can to to use generative ai as as, as often as possible yeah and you think the other side will be prepared or is it going to be a few disasters along the way a few bumps and bruises before we get there I think it's going to take us a couple of um, big ticket, um, you know, uh, I won't say attacks, but some big ticket, um, uh, you know, use cases for us to really <laughs> identify what's what's going on, right? Before More we use can, cases. Before, yeah, before before companies really start to see the 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 value of using automation, I think they're going to see a few more larger kind of news items of organizations that have been attacked using generative AI. Well, Hader, thank you so much for talking to me. Fun chat. Have a good one. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your audio content. All that's left to do is thank our production team and you for listening. See you next week.